This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. As states like Indiana consider a near-total ban on abortion, even more people could lose the right to end a pregnancy. Conversations about abortion often exclude transgender men and non-binary people who can get pregnant. Under Roe, trans people already faced unique barriers to abortion, birth control, and gender-affirming health care, such as surgeries and hormone therapies. And trans advocates say that overturning Roe v. Wade sets those barriers even higher. Joining us now is Orion Rumler. He's reported on this issue for The 19th. That's a news website that specializes in gender and public policy. Welcome to Reset, Orion. Great to be here, Sasha. Thank you. Also with us is Alex Petrovnia. He's the founder of Transformations. That's a transgender advocacy organization. Hey, Alex. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'll start with you, Orion. What kinds of discrimination might trans men or, or non-binary people get when they go to a healthcare provider to seek an abortion? Right. So what trans people told me and what experts on trans care have said is that a lot of times when you're seeking reproductive health care or abortion care, the clinic might totally be geared towards women. Like it might have women in the name or like everything about the clinic will say this is treatment for women. Um, and that can have significant, even if it's not intentional, like no one means any harm with that. It can cause a lot of uh, dysphoria and mental stress. And also it can, in some cases, experts are right that if that's the only option, then a trans person might not actually seek care because then they're going to a space where um, if all of the care is designed for women and everyone who works at the clinic maybe hasn't dealt with a trans patient before, that can create an environment where like, the patient is not meeting these gendered expectations, and that's where experts fear that violence can happen, like abuse or discrimination can happen, mm. um, because this is someone who doesn't line up with the expectations of the patient you expect to be seeing. Violence and abuse from whom? So from the clinic that you're at. Like, I see. For trans people can be really stressful to be in this environment when it's like a, a space for women. So I mean, like verbal abuse. I see. That's most typically feared. So you, you write in your article, Orion, that uh, trans men and non-binary people, that they also may not get the care that they need at a regular doctor's visit because they're not read as female. Can you talk more right. about that? Right. So the... The primary care that they may not get um, if they're read as female, um, a lot of times for trans people, the best place to get affirming care is also an abortion provider or independent clinic or a Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthoods especially have a great reputation for trans care, um, and that includes gender-affirming care, like hormone therapy, but it also means primary care, which is in this case, like when you're able to find a provider that actually knows how to like treat trans patients without any stigma, like yeah. it, that's educated about trans treatment. Yeah, Alex, let's let's bring you in here because you and your husband, you've both struggled to get a surgery that you wanted. Can you tell us what happened there? Um, yeah, sure. So um, we are both trans men. We are both trying to seek uh, hysterectomies. And in my personal experience, uh, my hysterectomy has been denied five times, and we have now moved states and are beginning the process completely over from scratch. Mm. 
which is very disheartening. What, what are they telling you when it gets denied? What are they telling you? Sure. Um, they are a couple times there were, I apologize, um, one, they were blatantly transphobic uh, changing of the procedures. So what we had is you have a certain number of requirements you have to meet in order to qualify for a hysterectomy, and they kept kind of changing the goalposts on us in okay. order to deny it. You know, you, you've talked about, you've, you've talked, Alex, about how trans people often receive care other than abortions from, from clinics like Planned Parenthood. Talk more about how it impacts healthcare for trans people when those clinics ultimately close. Um, it definitely impacts trans care. It is hugely influential, especially in more rural areas or areas with um, that are less trans-friendly. Planned Parenthood is absolutely essential, um, like Orion said, um, not only for things like abortion access or like HRT, but for even primary care clinics, um, even in this case, uh, reproductive care for trans men and for non-binary people who require... Uh, who have uterine systems, uh, Planned Parenthood is often the only safe place you can go where you won't be abused by staff or even by other patients. You know, Ryan, you've reported that a lot of trans people are just simply scared to even go to a doctor at all. Can you talk more about that fear and, and what's driving it? Oh, definitely. So this is something that I think is really concerning. Um, and it also comes up with something like a pap smear. Um, and there can be a lot of, it really, it, it depends on the person. But for pap smear, something that can come up is uh, like a trans person may not feel like they can find a provider who can do this really important screening procedure in a way that, that will be affirming. Like they may feel like I'm about to get misgendered. All this really personal screening procedure has happened. Um, an important screening for cervical cancer is happening um, and just seeking a lot of these preventative measures, uh, like they oftentimes just won't go to do that. Um, and that's not, like we have data on that from the U.S. Trans Survey. They found that only 27% of trans respondents to that 2015 survey did actually get a pap smear within that last year. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, and so the one person I talked to said that, you know, pap smears are not even as stigmatized as abortions are. And so he was talking about, like, if trans people won't go get this service because I don't have access to good care for it, mm -hmm. then what's going to happen um, with all these restrictions? And there's even fewer places for them to go. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty low percentage there, Orion, getting a essential service. Yeah. Is it true that the greatest percentage of trans people live in states where abortion is illegal? Yes, so that's from the Williams Institute. They put out some great data last month. Um, it's the highest concentration of trans people live in the South. So that's where some of the most uh, stringent or strict abortion restriction uh, bans are in place. Um, and, and speaking about the South, that also brings up like a lot of LGBTQ people of color live in the South. Mm -hmm. um, and that brings up more of these intersection or intersectional barriers that black trans people and LGBTQ people of color face when you're dealing with a situation of, I have to travel to get an abortion, but I'm really poor because I'm trans and, and black and like I don't have access to job security, health protections. And so 
those compounding issues are what people are worried about. Goodness, how how did the South get to be the place with the highest proportion of LGBTQ people? I don't know why so many trans people live there, but for LGBTQ people of color and like black people in the South, like that's been a more documented trend, mm-hmm. and and I think that goes back to. Um, just like historically people of color like living in the South and just um, generationally being there. But I'm not sure why trans people are in the South, but I would like to report more on that. Yeah, and we'll have you back because that that in itself is an interesting conversation to have. Uh, This is Reset. We are discussing how the Supreme Court's reversal of Roe v. Wade just worsens existing barriers to care for trans men and non-binary people who can get pregnant. With us are Orion Rumler, who's a reporter for the 19th, and Alex Petrovnia, who's founder of the trans advocacy group Transformations. Alex, let's talk about your organization for a bit. What do you do exactly, and what are your goals? Sure. Um, the Transformations Project is and informing about the anti-trans legislative crisis in the United States. Almost 300 uh, bills have been introduced since 2019 that specifically target trans individuals in the United States. And so it really is um, a very sudden and current crisis. And we are trying to draw attention to that. And also we have a database of all of these bills as well as contact information for representatives that allow people to um, shorten the barrier to contacting the representatives and, you know, uh, expressing their displeasure with these anti-trans bills. Well, tell us more about what you've been hearing from, from your members, especially in the last month since the Supreme Court decision. Oh, there is a lot of fear. Um, There is a lot of uncertainty. There is a lot of um, people making contingency plans that are not ideal. There are many people trying to flee their state. There are many people trying to flee the country. There are many people who don't have the resources to do either of those things and are terrified because the ultimate is we don't know what will happen except that we are a highly targeted group Um, and we're being targeted legislatively at unprecedented rates Um, that threatens to take away our access to things like healthcare, even to legal documents or even to go to the bathroom safely in public. It really, there is no, um, the cruelty is the point as many people have said. Yeah. In your reporting, Orion, you you talked with a number of trans men about how pregnancy would impact their relationships with their bodies. What kinds of things did they tell you? Right. So I think this is really important to talk about. And it does, you know, not the same for every trans man or non-binary person, but um, for some of the trans men I talked to, they said that the thought of being pregnant, especially earlier in their lives, would have been devastating, would have really affected their mental health, would have caused them to consider suicide, largely because of gender dysphoria. And I think, you know, as we're thinking of unwanted pregnancies and the, like, the emotional upheaval that can cause for anyone is really important um, for women as well. Like, it can really negatively affect your life. But I think for trans men, there's this extra layer of, like, this is a pregnancy that I would be having that would go against, like, everything about my gender identity, like everything about me and like adding to this dysphoria that can really like totally upend your quality of life, I think in ways that we really need to talk about. Mm -hmm. And that is to say like some trans men do want to be pregnant and start families that way. 
Um, so it does depend on the person, but I do think talking about unwanted pregnancies, like this is uh, really important when talking about just mental health around it. Yeah. So what would you say then, Orion, to healthcare providers who may be listening now who want to do a better job treating trans men and non-binary people? I would definitely uh, ask them to like, directly talk to your patient and just tell them that you will like listen to them like about their issues, like about um, like if they're seeking reproductive care, like if they're seeking like a pap smear event, like just really uh, take extra time to be like, I'm like, I'm here to affirm you like this, like try to go out of your way a little bit mm-hmm. to just demonstrate that you understand this person is coming to you and probably feels really vulnerable um, and like needs extra reassurance from you than uh, another patient would in that moment because this is a really fraught time for a lot of trans people. Alex, what would better healthcare access for trans people look like for you? Um, mine would be um, generally similar to how Orion said, uh, moving away from seeing reproductive health care of the uterine system as simply a women's issue and simply women's clinics. Um, that involves a certain level of dysphoria, and you often are treated with open hostility, both by staff and by other patients. If you, you know, look like a man and walk into the gynecologist alone, people will stare at you. Um, and basically just general awareness that this is not just for women, that this is something that impacts certain men and non-binary people as well. Alex Petrovnia runs the transgender advocacy organization Transformations, and Orion Rumler is a reporter for the 19th. Thank you both. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.